You are listening to Tech Grind, behind the scenes of leading high-tech ecosystems. You are listening to Tech Grind, behind the scenes of leading tech ecosystems, and we are on part two, the Beehive. In this part, we will be talking about the ecosystem surrounding Liquid360 and the pains in that market. So, Elisa, what ecosystem are you part of? We're a little tiny uh, part of the physical security market in the world, which is a really, really big market. But most of that market is manpower. And there's a little tiny, and then there's the things, the, the sensors, the internet of things. And then there's this little tiny thing called physical security integration management, better known as PSIM to people in the mm -hmm. industry. And this, this tiny little piece that just a few just a couple of years ago was a billion dollars a year is, is expected to grow at over 30% a year in the United States. 30% CAGR. Yes. Wow. Yeah, because they because things are changing. You know, it's a it's a really we're in a very, very interesting time. We have amazing technology, and yet the technology in the control room really, really hasn't changed in decades. You have the, uh, you have better sensors, you have better cameras, you have better resolution on the screens, but you're really doing the same thing. You're still doing the wall of screens. And then you have video analytics and there's two parts to the video analytics. There's the video analytics that are allowing you to take the virtual wall the, the make the wall virtual and put it on your laptop or desktop. Um, and that's not much of a change. So, so you have basically a fragmented uh, kind of wall of all the cameras around. Right. We've and, all seen it's that. Right? But we've all seen that. Yeah. You're exactly mm -hmm. right. We've all, either in a movie or in something, we've seen that mm -hmm. wall of screens. <laughs> and it's like, where is that relative to that? Just because it's on the right side of that screen's on the right side of that screen, is it to the right of it in real life? Yeah. If it's above or below, is it? So there's no spatial context. And and by the way, does a situation happen where it's on the right on the screen and in reality it's on the left? It could instance? be anywhere. Oh Honestly, God. it could wow. be anywhere. I can I can tell you, some of these things are, they're they're really really bizarre. Now I have to tell you, until I started to get involved with this. I thought, well, if you're a good operator, you know that site so well that you look at it and you glance at it and you just, it, it unscrambles itself in your brain. No, it's not the case. The neurology tells you, tells a different story. But, but in terms of the, the beehive, in terms of the, what we, you know, the, the industry. Um, so first of all, you, you have this crazy wall of screens and it's the same thing everywhere at some level or mm -hmm. at some degree or another. And it has no spatial context. And there's also, it's also missing a thing called situational awareness. So that's an academic term. And it means the perception of events, the comprehension of events, and the direction of events. So basically, anyone who's ever been involved in security or anyone who's been a fighter, so you had, you know, when you were in the army, you learned, whether they call this situational awareness or not, you learned to have situational awareness. You learned to be aware of your surroundings of what was happening, where it was happening, and where things were going, and to, under, and to have an understanding of it so that you could react and you could respond. 
So right now, security is basically reactive. And, and, and the fact is, the vast majority of the resources it are, are being used, of, of the systems, uh, of the systems are being used to record what's happening. So you have these enormous video management systems, and that's it. They're recording what's happening for after the fact. I was really lucky when my daughter disappeared that I didn't need that. But that's what was going to happen. That, that's, that's, I mean, that's unbelievable to me. Because what you're saying is that we have all this technology in the Situation Room that is just used to record and then people go into that recording and analyze that, not using it live. That's right. That's unbelievable. So, so here's, the, I, and I didn't, even after what happened with my daughter, I really didn't understand that. But then I saw the shooting incidents that happened in the United States, you know, there, it's very sad, and there was just another one last week. And in April, there were so many, you should have seen the red on the map. It was terrible. But every time we see those incidents in the U.S., we see that there's a one to three hour delay before people go into the building. Now, you do have the exceptions. For example, in the Pittsburgh synagogue case, they were on site quickly. And they went in after about 30 minutes. And the first two SWAT officers through the door were shot. Oh. Well, so that's not helpful either. Because all you're doing is increasing the casualty count. Mm -hmm. But, so what's happening? Why are they standing outside? Even, even if there's 100 police officers, like happened in uh, the nightclub in Florida. There were 100 police officers standing outside for three hours before anyone went in. Three hours. But the one that... that Opened, the, opened my eyes that made me do a deep dive was what happened in, um, in the Washington Navy Yard. It was 2013, and there was a shooting incident. So first of all, in, secu by sec in security terms, this is a hard site. It's hard to get into, it's hard to get out of, it's hard to bring anything bad in there. And it took four teams, after the shooting started, it took four teams 69 minutes to stop the shooting. In a, in a building with 160 cameras. I mean, <laughs> this is just, again, unbelievable because you have so many data points, so many so much data coming yes. in. You have all the forces that you would dream of in the world. I mean, yes. You have the, the best forces in the world. And there's a mismatch between everything in that compound yes and it, it was but it was in when i saw this then i realized my guy in new york he wasn't so stupid there must be something mm -hmm. wrong with the system and and but I'm, I'm actually getting ahead of myself because and i'm telling a bit of a lie because it was a few weeks after the washington navy yard that they released the video they put together mm -hmm. they pieced together the movements they had the movements of this shooter second by second for all of the minutes from the time he started shooting until he was captured. So where's the gap? So this is the gap, the gap between the data that was existing but wasn't available. Wow. And they had to piece it together and it can take hours to piece it together because you have to piece it together from different cameras because you don't have anything contiguous. You don't have a view with spatial context. And so it, when I saw that video, 
And I thought back to New York, then I thought, okay, number one, my operator wasn't an idiot. There's something wrong with the system. I'm repeating myself. And then the other thing that I realized was he was somewhat passive because that's how it works. He wasn't actively helping me find my daughter and they don't engage the video, the video management system. They don't re-roll, like search back. When I was saying search back five minutes, you're going to see her. You're going to know where she went and they're not doing it. If you wouldn't have told him roll back and you know what to do and everything, what would have happened? But he didn't roll back. They didn't use the video management system okay. because what they would have done, you know, chasve chalila, you know, God forbid, if in in the cases where a child had left the hotel, then the police would have been called, <clears throat> and they would have put together the video. How long that would take? Yeah, maybe Hours, days, days right? Mm -hmm. And then they would have used the video available from the street. So meanwhile, I would have wow. been apoplectic. I would have been, you know, I don't know what I would have been. Obviously, I mean, I wouldn't have lost my mind. I have other I have other children to be present for. But that's what actually happens. And so in the case where, in the case of the Washington Navy Yard, as the, and I use that example because, as you said, you have the best forces in the world. You have the full capacity to respond. And yet... The data was locked in the control room and was completely under. So they were going in blind. They were going in in a methodical military method, blind. Basically, in a, in a um, kind of way that uh, if if the attacker or aggressor is there, then kind of a, a fight of sides, and if not, not. Right, but also there, and there instead of using all that existing data to look at everything and see and understand beforehand and before you go into the room or the complex it's completely reactive wow. it's all responsive wow. and reactive and and you can't be proactive because you have to come in very cautiously because when you see the shooter the shooter sees you so there's no point in you going and getting shot. If you're the if you're the responder, you getting shot does not help the situation. So you there's a very cautious and reactive approach. And and we've confirmed this with speaking with SWAT officers and uh, former Marines and people that have been and other police officers, and that's that's how it works. And so you have this elaborate system, and some of these systems are millions of dollars, and the video management systems are expensive, and you have sometimes highly trained operators that are, you know, that are sitting there and they're and they're working. But the information that's available in real time isn't being used. And then, of course, there's modern developments because the Internet of Things is, is going forward. And so you have all kinds of different sensors and you have AI and you have um, and you so that you're able to create, for example, polygons to see what you're looking for. And some of them are very sophisticated and they can recognize weapons, but they can only recognize the weapon once it's come out. <laughs> it's, it's really it's only human. It's only human intelligence that yeah. has seven signs of looking for, for example, a person that's hiding a gun. And then you have the very complicated use of 
uh, of, for example, the motorized cameras, the pan, tilt, and zoom cameras that are extremely complicated to, to operate. You have to know the number of the camera, you have to punch it into the control system, and you have to very delicately maneuver the joystick. But you have to know that camera number, and you have to know what it sees. And you and, and you, you have, have to punch in the you camera have to, You have to punch in the camera number and then maneuver the joystick. Because the punching in the camera number gives the control to the joystick over that camera, and that's how you maneuver it. But things have already moved, and and it's and and so you have um, modern video analytics that are focused on looking backwards. In other words, they go through the video management system and they piece together what happened more quickly. They can search for things, but again, you're still looking backwards. Yeah, and and that's not helping me when my kids lost. That's not helping me. And, um, and then, and then you, and then you also have the, the, um, the AI and things for looking, uh, for, for tracking things in real time when they happen, when people are where they shouldn't be, when there's a vehicle where they shouldn't be. Oh, and they said they set up alerts and they pop up. We've, we've talked to those companies and we looked at those companies, they pop up and I'm not saying anything negative about them, but they give the information in isolation. So when you pop up on it, you see one screen, you see what's happening there. You don't see it everywhere else. You know, you have on most campuses, in, uh, at least in the United States, you have these panic buttons. And so from anywhere, when something happens on campus, a, an, an attack or a theft or whatever happens, someone can hit those panic buttons and it gets an alert in security that things aren't stagnant, things aren't static in, in, in the real world. So people move out of frame and now you have no context, you're lost again. And, and I, I know we're gonna talk about it after, but there's, there's things, you have to recognize how the brain works with the eyes. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's a very interesting part of the problem in physical security right now, particularly in the United States, is the lack of personnel. They have a real, there's an employment, a real employment problem. And, and this is really labor intensive, what you describe here. 77 to 80% of all dollars spent on physical security are spent on humans. Wow, I mean, and, and you come in and give a whole solution. We, we will talk about your solution in part three, but I, I have so many questions that uh, arise from this talk. I mean, one side one is how if if the data is not uh, live analyzed is there even enough data to for for an efficient ai to, to build efficient ai on this basis i guess you can use the data set the data from uh, past videos but is that what we want to use in the ai of such a system well, I, th I mean, I think there's great potential for AI. And I think there's already been some, some really good steps forward in, uh, in using AI. But you still have to pull to together a, a real-time view. Mm -hmm. And a real-time alert in isolation is, is not a real-life view. And what we see is that everyone is starting in the control room. And... The difference between cyber and physical security, which are really two sides of the same coin, there is no, there's, they are both parts of security. But cybersecurity, I can do from my sofa uh, in Tel Aviv. And physical security, 
someone has to be present. You need a physical presence to deal with a physical problem. And, uh, and, and so that's the thing. So we, we personally are not focused on, on the control room. And we think, that, we think that that's where right now, that's where everyone is focused. And that's where everything is, is, uh, is, is emanating from there. But it limits, the, it limits the reach. It limits the power. And it really limits the solutions. But AI is absolutely going to be very, very important. It, it reminds me, actually, that you... We, we're talking about security all the time. But you also told me that there are a lot of other uh, uses that you can uh, have for the system. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 because I come from heavy manufacturing... You know, both in uh, I consulted uh, for automotive companies around the world. I even drove the I was the first woman in the world to drive the Ferrari F40. Wow! Uh, and, wow. and yeah, it was very cool. I had I had really I had a very good relationship with the head of research there at Ferrari, and uh, and I've driven the Porsche on Weisshof, and and I've anyway I've also worked in Japan in uh, in automotive companies consulting there, and it, manufacturing facilities are also like small cities. And even the Tesla plant in Fremont, which used to be a General Motors plant, and that is a that is a site that is fraught with problems. Right now, all of the information uh, that comes from security is basically exclusive to security, and it isn't used by others. So whether it's a hotel security uh, or it's the manufacturing security, they're not. There's information. There's data that could be very, very important to people in other areas, in logistics, in, in shipping, in, in, um, in materials control. Um, so I guess that's inventory. Uh, or in uh, even taking care of guests, not when their daughter is lost, but, <laughs> the, uh, but bottlenecks that happen, mm -hmm. in, in, uh, that you know, sometimes arrivals happen all at once. Yep. And, and the, the arrival of all of those people and the front desk manager doesn't know it until it hits his desk. But what if that information, that data was shared with the front desk manager? And so the front desk manager sees the bottleneck before the, the bottleneck happens and, and has 50 to 100 to 200 people that have arrived at the front desk mm -hmm. at the same time and can, can say, okay, we need extra people. We need more bellhops. We need more people. We need to call the kitchen and have them come out with a tray of, of uh, water and orange juice and champagne or something to make people feel good and cared about. Right. You know, that there's a lot of data in security that isn't being utilized in, never mind that it isn't being used in security, it's also not being mm -hmm. used in, in, other, in other places. In a wider kind of... Uh, wider sense. context, exactly. Uh, and, and you know, that's amazing because, again, with many uh, startups, uh, the startup can take the product and, and utilize it in different markets. And this is a great example for it because you can take it to a whole other world and give very valuable solutions from, I mean, to, to those areas. And that's astonishing. Okay, so um, this was part two of the Beehive, where we understood the ecosystem and the market of where Liquid360 operates. And next up, we have part three, which is the Superman moment, where we will be talking more in depth about Liquid360 and their solution, and how this absurd in the market is being solved by Liquid360 
So join us for part three 